This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe. Trending at top at the top of Netflix Canada is all the light we cannot see. A few weeks ago, Dave interviewed the show's accessibility consultant. Today, the conversation continues. Entertainment critic Amy Amanti has some thoughts on the show and will share her uh, review. But before I welcome her in, let's take in a clip from the show's trailer. A woman powers up a transmitter. Ladies and gentlemen. Vacuum tubes light, needles bounce, a white cane taps cobblestones. Before I begin my broadcast today, I have something to say. An old man listens on headphones. In this time of darkness. Nazis march through Paris. Of invading cities. I try to remember. Light lasts forever. Bombers approach a burning town. Darkness lasts. Darkness lasts not even for one second. A young German soldier listens. When you turn on the light, I know that broadcasting could get me executed. Bombs drop amid flak and explosions. A blast wave tears through the broadcaster's room. But I will not be silenced. She sets her microphone back up. I hope you will tune in again tomorrow. She powers down the transmitter. That was a clip from All the Light We Cannot See. Let's welcome in Amy Amanti. Hello, Amy. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Alex. Happy Monday. Doing okay. Braved the storm that you were all just talking about. Yeah, that's in, uh, in BC. I'm I'm glad to hear you're okay and you're you're, you're still in one piece. So, still Amy, in one piece have, have power. Yeah, exactly. That's the two very important things. Now. Focusing in on this series, you have a special connection to it because you actually auditioned for this series. What was that initial draw for you to audition? Uh, well, I, you know, they did a global search for this particular character. Obviously, I did not get cast in the role, and appropriately so. Um, you know, I think they they auditioned thousands of people across the globe uh, for this particular robe. So I was just uh, one of the many numbers of blind actors who auditioned for this particular role. Um, I auditioned for anything that is related to a blind character. That is kind of how it rolls when you audition for blind characters. They want to see everybody who identifies as blind or partially sighted, whether or not you sort of tick the box. And this particular character um, is a, a teen, probably 17, 18 years old at this point. Um, and, you know, uh, the actor that plays her is 30 years old. So, you know, it just you, you never know how you're going to be cast. Now, central to this story is the character Marie Laura that uh, who uh, plays a a French girl, a blind French girl, and you've talked about authentic casting. You you mentioned it just there in terms of the need to make sure that you're finding someone who has that experience, that lived experience, to to inhabit that role. In this movie, there are two actors playing the role of Marie Laure as the series flashes back and forth from both childhood and then her teenage years. And both those actors are legally blind. Neil Sutton, uh, Nell Sutton is a child actor, and Aria Maria Liberti is the teenager. So how did these two first-time actors perform? 
They were pretty darn good. I mean, the thing about first-time actors, for some first-time actors, is that they don't have any bad habits to break, which is interesting. You know, uh, you know, as a, as classically trained actors that we see on TV all the time, sometimes there are egos that you have to break down. Sometimes there's overperforming that you have to break down, um, and sometimes there are just habits that you have to break down. And so when you are uh, not a classically trained actor, there is none of that that you have to break down. And so I think that that's what's kind of being exhibited here in these two first time performers, which I thought they did really well for not um, essentially being trained on the job, right? Because they'll get that training in, on the job with uh, coaches um, while they're sort of uh, going through rehearsal periods. And so what did you learn about uh, the actor who who played the character as a teenager, Aria Marie Lebert. Okay, so Liberti um, is is uh, a really interesting human. As I mentioned, she's born in 1994, so she's 30 years old, playing a teenager. So obviously, you know, we don't typically have teenagers playing teenagers because some of the roles are quite mature, right? We have mature people playing teenagers. Um, uh, this is very, very typical in, in Hollywood. But I wanted to read you some of the things that, that Liberty had done before becoming uh, cast in this role, because I think just in terms of blindness empowerment is good for people to know um, where she'd been. So she uh, is a graduate of Rhodes, uh, University of Rhode Island. Um, she graduated summa cum laude uh, with three majors, three majors, oh. Oh boy. philosophy, communications, um, communication studies and political science with minors in ancient Greek language and rhetoric. <gasps> Can you imagine? Okay. So then she also completed, uh, she completed that in her honors. Uh, um, then she received a master's degree in ancient rhetoric uh, with distinction. Then she started her doctoral studies in ancient rhetoric at the University of Pennsylvania. So like totally an academic, right? Yeah. And then yeah. in 2021, she began to question her career path. And it was at that time that this sort of casting opportunity came up. But she's also quite an active um, human rights activist. Um, she's been a public speaker about um, accessible education. Um, she's d done a, a TEDx talk. She's uh, been a, a speaker with the UN um, uh, and the UN's Women's Division and is quite active with UNICEF. So she's done quite a lot of things in her young life so far. And I, I think it was it was really important for me to highlight some of the thing, these things because, you know, the stigmatization around uh, blindness and disability in general, that we're all sort of sitting around drawing disability benefits, um, that that we are working engaged intelligent academic people many of us a lot of us right and so um i think the world needs to uh, to know these things about who we are as as individuals um so i think it's important to highlight some of these things yeah and uh, you know make everyone else kind of feel like oh maybe i could have been doing more instead of just sitting on on the couch playing my games or or going to school for one degree instead of three majors and two minors majors and, and, two, yeah. and then the masters and the PhD and everything like that top of the class. Very impressive. Okay. But let's, let's bring the conversation back to the series itself. So let's talk about the audio description. What stood out to you about the description in this series? So the thing about the description in a series like this is because we have, and I use the term blindness culture, mm. um, 
you know, blindness culture has a, a certain element to it, right? We, we're cane users or we're guide dog users. Um, you know, we do things in, in a certain way that the general public doesn't do things or doesn't understand how we do things. This is the culture element. And so um, as, a, as a, a, uh, somebody who's watching or listening or witnessing what's happening, I want to know these elements um, from the perspective of a blind character. So I want my describer to tell me how she's using her cane, um, when she's switching her, her hand back and forth, how she's opening a door. Like, and these things may sound silly to some folks, but this is the blindness culture element that gets missed out in representation. And so I thought that the audio description did a really great job in finding these moments where we could include this so that I was like, oh yeah, okay, um, this is really important for me to know how she's navigating the city, for example. Um, so I thought that the audio description did an excellent job in pointing out these particular things. And so do you recommend others hit play on this series, Amy? You, you've watched it, you, you, you talked about the audio description. What should uh, people take away? Are, are, are they in the right to go and seek it out and press play? Well, I, there are some really great um, things about this, this uh, series in general that I think people will really, really enjoy. It's um, great audio description. There's some really great um, moments in this uh, series in general. It's really low on stigmatization, which is lovely from a blind perspective. And, you know, one of the great things about representation is that, you know, what is Liberty going to be doing after this series? And, and just so folks know, just in September, she was named the uh, public face of the skincare brand L'Occitane uh, in uh, uh, France and is now going to be the new narrator of the uh, a new audiobook not a new audiobook but a new version of the Jules Verne uh, uh 20 leagues under 20,000 leagues under the sea which is the book that she is reading uh publicly uh on broad broadcast in this film so she's going to be the narrator of the book a new version of this book so i would say yes absolutely hit play on this one it's a, a lovely version if if you've read the book it's a bit different than the book um than the series but we always have to look at uh, you know, books and TV and movie and plays all as sort of their own different type of entertainment, right? We can't really compare apples to apples because they're apples and oranges and bananas and kiwi fruit, right? So um, <laughs> keeping that in mind, it's really hard to compare one to the other. So looking at it as its own entity, I think will really, um, really draw folks in. Perfect. Amy, thank you so much for for uh, coming on early and, and chatting about uh, this series with me. Have yourself a wonderful day. Thanks, Alex. Okay, that was Amy Amanti, the entertainment critic based in Vancouver, BC, and she reviewed the limited series, All the Light We Cannot See, and it is streaming on Netflix. In a minute, Elizabeth Moeller will share the entertainment report, but first, the Dodge Ram is making the jump to electric, sort of. Here's reporter Mike Dubusky with Tech Trends. The Ram 1500 Ram Charger is a series hybrid, says Auto Week editor Natalie Neff. It has a generator and battery pack on board. It has a Pentastar V6 on board, but the engine does not ever directly drive the wheels. Instead, the V6 is solely designed to generate electricity. So it drives the generator, and the generator's job is to either charge the onboard battery or drive the wheels. Neff says it's intended to cut down on EV range anxiety. What this allows 
allows you to do is drive like a full EV for 145 miles, at which point the engine will make sure that you won't get stranded. Total range is just under 700 miles, though that could shrink when towing or hauling. But when it comes to capability, payload and towing capacity rival the standard Ram. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. And so now it's time for the entertainment report with Elizabeth Moeller. Elizabeth, the 2024 Grammy nominations are finally here. They are absolutely finally here. Um, they this is they've been announced for the 66th Grammy Awards that are coming up in February, and the best traditional pop vocal album category has really evolved over the years, and it's included nominations of Bruce Springsteen. Ricky Lee Jones, and a personal favorite of mine, Joni Mitchell. And that really reflects the broadening focus of this category. This year, interestingly enough, there are three new categories that are going to be emerging. Best African Music Performance, Best Alternative Jazz Album, and Best Pop Dance Recording. And these changes are part of efforts to make the Grammy Awards process more fair and transparent and accurate and inclusive. So, Alex, I wanted to uh, chat with you about this pop category a little bit because I'm trying to wrap my head around pop here, hoping you can yeah. kind of help me out. So in what ways do you see the best traditional pop vocal album category embracing a more advanced or perhaps changing definition of pop music? Well, I, I think that um, pop very much for many, many years, at least in my mind, has always been, okay, this is something that is basically designed, developed, created in a studio. You, you get synth tracks, you get basically a singer, and then you get this creation of these kind of other sounds that may not be done directly by the artist, but more of a producer in, in that regard. Whereas, like, you list kind of uh, some of these different other... Um, uh, artists like you know Bruce Springsteen, Joni Mitchell, like yeah. these these are true artists who yeah. are yeah. are are creating music that is popular. And and by yeah. the very definition, pop is short for popular music. Yes. So now they they may have fallen under rock or other categories in the past. I think still Bruce Springsteen would fall under rock, but it, it shows that okay, they're understanding that you know pop music can take on a broader definition than just kind of that a catchy rhythmic beat and a single vocalist or a boy band kind of approach to what pop music has been at least for many years in my mind. Yeah, no, it's interesting to say that because when I think about pop music, like traditionally I think of, you know, sort of very light, like Michael Bublé comes to mind, mm. like right away when I think of pop music or like, you know, maybe um, Celine Dion. But Joni Mitchell to me, like I've always grown up knowing Joni Mitchell as folk. And so it's interesting too, because they even talk about pop dance. And if you if you go on Apple Music, you see all these categories, you see soft pop, pop dance, pop workout. And it's really, it's, it's interesting that it's starting to evolve to sort of become more all encompassing. So like you said, like anything that it's really um, popular, but it's starting to kind of evolve other in, involve other genres. Like even I'm seeing some pop country out there as well. Yeah, well, and, and that's that's a key point too because I, I think it's also the idea of music is just kind of it, it evolves over time. And what what is in the cultural zeitgeist? What is uh, at the forefront and, and everyone's listening to changes. I mean, the 2000s, you saw a lot of that, that either dance and rock mm -hmm. were, were kind of in the alternative rock. Those were really at the forefront. Now you're getting countries really taking hold along with rap and hip hop is really kind of at that forefront. And you're not seeing some of these other uh, genres that used to be very uh, kind of 
popular, for lack of a better word, in this conversation. So I, I, <laughs> I like that evolution, that change in, in trending with the times. Yeah, and, and you know, these three categories, I, I just want to kind of talk about those for a minute because I wonder, you know, how do you see these new categories influencing the music industry and, you know, giving representation to artists who might not have been represented in, in previous Grammys? Because these are, these, are, um, these are brand new, these three categories that I've mentioned. Yeah, so it was uh, Best African Music Performance, Best Alternative Jazz Album, and Best yes. Pop Dance Recording. I think... Yes. We're still I working think, out what pop dances. Yeah, well, and but I, I think that helps separate it, right? Because as we talked about, pop was kind of a bit all-encompassing. Now that you've kind of separated, okay, pop, dance, now you can really focus in and you can uh, narrow that focus into, okay, this is what really fits within this category. I, I agree to African music. Okay, we're, we're trying to expand it into a bit more openness to cultural because people love to listen to African music as well, but it rarely gets that love. It, it, it doesn't have, it didn't have its own category before. So as a result, you can shine a light and, and you can let a broader audience also discover music that they may not have been exposed to before. Because if you see an artist that's won a Grammy, well, you're more likely to go and check them out, exactly. even if it's a, in a genre that you're not familiar with. So I think it's really going to help uh, broaden the scope and, and expose people to new artists and new music, which is always a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think I would say, too, that I think there really are making some strides around representation. I mean, we know, too, that last year they had they had um, sign language for the first time and are um, working working uh, towards audio description. So I think these are all things that are really showing that this process is becoming more inclusive. And that was one of the, the really key points when they put in these three categories is to look at how can we make this more fair and inclusive and, and to show people that are uh, at home watching that, you know, they are or their communities are represented as a part of the Grammy. Yeah, exactly. Elizabeth, we have to uh, let you go for now, but thank you so much. You and bet. we'll, we'll check in here. with you later on in the show for the roundtable. You bet. Take care, Alex. Okay, that was Elizabeth Moeller with the Entertainment Report. Coming up after the break, I got the regional news update. And Brock Richardson is here for a sports chat. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.